0: Would the Bible endorse streaking? And what does it mean to really be righteous?
1: These are questions you never thought you would hear on a program produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Does the Bible encourage streaking? Yeah, that's something with childhood. Anyways, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And we are, again, a program produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Jay Dylan Proctor.
0: I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow.
1: And I'm Anthony Allegria.
0: So in serious conversation, we're going to discuss Jesus' response to the question of who is my neighbor, as well as some some stories about some hardcore saints. Of old. Of old, yes.
1: And yes, but before we get there, we are going to have our time with unholiness today. And again, when we were doing show prep for this, Amanda's like, is the actual holiness today going to come after us? <laughs> we hope so. We do hope so. And we hope we garner their attention. Anyway, so first up in Unholiness Today, which is our segment where we shamelessly compare scripture to bizarre stories, we're going to begin with a man who has been subjected to quite unusual punishment. We'll let you decide whether you think this is cool or not. So there's a man who has been sentenced by the court to watch the Disney film Bambi at least once a month. Yes, this really is a thing. So a Missouri man was sentenced to jail for a year. So he didn't go to, to prison, just a year sentence. And he was ordered by the court to watch the Disney movie Bambi at least once a month while he was incarcerated. This happened after he was convicted for illegally poaching. He was going out and he illegally killed a large quantity of deer. And he, was, he wasn't he was even using all of the deer. He was just taking some trophies from them, maybe some antlers and stuff. But he left most of them out there to, to rot. And the court said he is going to, to watch the movie, at least once a month, Bambi. And now, what may have happened here is, you see, I know we, we read through the Psalms at times, and I think what may have happened is that the judge may have read the Psalm 10, verse 8, where it says, he sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places he murders the innocent, and his eyes stealthily watch the helpless. Now, you see, the judge may have read that scripture there. And he's seeing he's watching the helpless and he said, what if I reinterpret this to instead of it meaning the predator watching for the prey? What if we mean it's the predator is watching the prey because he's being rehabilitated? (laughs) And so it appears this is what the judge was thinking. And we actually have a picture of the offender for you. And he's making a face. And if you take some time and those listening to the podcast, I apologize that you can't see his face. But he has a face that one only makes when they are ordered by the court to watch Bambi at least <laughs> once a month. And one final thought before Amanda gives us our holiness alternative, I think the more fitting scripture for this is not Psalms ten eight, but instead Psalms ten seven where it says, His mouth was filled with cursing and deceit. Um anyways, <laughs> Pastor Amanda, is this totally depraved or is there a sanctifying alternative?
0: Um, yeah, I think there's some definitely depraved things happening. I mean, we obviously see it in the poacher and how he treated um, creation and also the laws of kind of the land. Um, but the the judge's response is a very interesting one. And I think it's something that's reaching towards a, a, a more comprehensive approach to rehabilitation versus kind of just sticking somebody in a room for, for a certain amount of time and saying, hopefully that will make you a better person, but like actually trying to cultivate some kind of compassion and empathy. Um, but I just think it's very interesting. It's done with a Disney movie that uh, honestly, if you love the movie Bambi, uh, no offense, but that is just one of the most boring films um, to date. So I think there's just, like, there's just better materials out there, maybe. If we're striving for real rehabilitation, for understanding and for growth and transformation, this seems a very strange way to do it.
1: We see, there are different types of, of punishment. And this is why we let Amanda do the Holiness Response, because she was as serious as anyone could ever be in response to this. The court-ordered watching of Bambi. Um, there is rehabilitative judicial adjudication. Then there is that which is punitive. And then there is that which is a discouraging act to keep other people from wanting to commit the same crimes.
0: And somehow the, this ends up being like all three. It is all three. <laughs>
1: it is disc- I would not want to be sentenced to watch Bambi at least once a month. I would not want that. And it would be quite torturous. I, I did not like the film. Anyways, moving along. I think, I think we said that was kind of depraved.
0: Yeah, I, I think mostly. Okay,
1: all of well, the above. <laughs> all of the above. All right, so let's move along to the next one. Now, we all enjoy a good performance from a marching band at halftime when we go to a football game. But there are some out there who like to be artists. They are self-proclaimed artists many of the times who bring us a show that no God-fearing soul on heaven or earth would pay money to see. Yes, next in our Unholiness Today stories, we bring you The Streaker. Now, we've all wondered, is it the same streaker going everywhere? Evidently, this guy does go a lot of places. According to Sky News, a 53-year-old man who describes himself as a performance artist has gone streaking at public events at least 568 times. And now that, that's, that's a lot of streaking. That's a big number, yeah. This is a big number. Um, so this man, he has three adult children, and I can just sympathize with him. I think one of them's around 21 at the time we made this video, and others at 25 and one's at 30. Mm. You know, that's kind of the age range that we're at. <laughs> I don't know. Please, I hope that my father does not ever take inspiration from this. I don't know about y'all. No. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, So he has three adult children who have pleaded with him to stop, but he says he has no plans of stopping his streaking. And he's streaked at a lot of really important places. He's been at the Olympics, the Super Bowl. He's been at dog shows because I guess people need to be entertained there. I don't know. And according to the man, he's only been arrested 25 times, which is really surprising to me. I think you would be arrested more times than that. And he's only been convicted three times. Notably, he has been paid to streak in the past, but he's given the money to charity. His motive behind streaking and this is where things get interesting, is that he wants the attention and the love and the laughs that he gets from the crowd. Now, of course, this is unholiness today. And we think there may be an unholy bad interpretation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you don't proof text and take <laughs> things out of context. But Mark fourteen fifty two. reads as follows. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Amanda, um, please give us a, a holiness alternative to this.
0: Uh, I, I just, I'm not sure there's an alternative really other than, I think there's some serious evaluation that needs to be given, uh, this man needs to give to his life. I think it's something that at first, like the answer is, ha ha, this is funny. But there's obviously something, I think, a little bit deeper happening in the sense of, like, the man only feels some kind of fulfillment both within himself and then others only find fulfillment by watching this. So there's something very troublesome happening here. Um, I think, again, like, it's written off because, you know, he gets money to charity and he does it for special events and it's art. Um, and so it can art. be... yeah. <laughs> Big uh, air quotes there, but um, it can be written off really easily. It's just something that's goofy and not dangerous or depraved But I, I do think there is depravity still in here So this this has to be taken I think very cautiously But I, I do also enjoy that you that this passage has come up Which is part of the really the, the narrative of Jesus being arrested and it's kind of funny that in the midst of such like a dark and And a dark and horrible story of Christ about to be crucified We just have this random person that they try to capture and runs away naked and I don't know what to do with that either. It's just there. Let's
1: just ask this question. Does the Bible actually endorse streaking?
0: No. 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 (laughs) So that
1: everyone listening to this. Very clear
0: answer. Yeah. No, it definitely does not um, because, I mean, the man in in the gospel is running away because his clothes were stripped off of him versus the man in this story is doing it on purpose. And obviously there's some issues there.
1: Yes. And we do like to show people pictures, but we are not going to show you pictures of a streaker. Instead, we'll give you something more wholesome. Please, for your eyes, look at the holy grandparents. And this is Jesus' grandparents on his earthly mother's side. So this is Mary's uh, mother and father, St. Anna and Joachim. So we have those two there for you because you need something wholesome to look at after being filled with um, the filthy images of, of a streaker. and Which he, he does not completely naked anymore. He does clothe himself a little bit. I Uh, guess that's a step
0: in the right direction.
1: I don't know. I I don't know. Small step. Small step. All right, so we're going to end our A segment there. We hope you enjoyed our unholiness today, and we'll be back to talk about some serious Bible conversation.
2: Today, for our second segment, we'll be taking a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan with an emphasis on how Jesus handles the conversation and the intentions of the lawyer. This passage well embodies two contentious approaches to eternal life. One approach asks, who do we love? And the other asks, how do we love? In order to answer the pursuit of eternal life, which also comes down to an even more fundamental question, is it identity or character that matters? First, we'll be looking into the ESV Luke ten twenty-five through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And so, let's take a second look at where at verses 25 through 29 the lawyer comes to test jesus but came to find that the answer jesus gives has put the lawyer himself to the test it seems that the answer is enough to strike the conscience of the teacher and he continues the conversation attempting to justify himself rather than testing jesus who has obviously passed at this point what's interesting to note here is how he justifies himself being an intelligent educated man he starts by defining things into his favor how can we apply this today amanda
0: okay well um i think something interesting that you're picking up here is um and this happens a lot throughout the gospels is um the teachers of the law the scribes the pharisees the sadducees in this instance a lawyer um and again this is kind of lawyer not in kind of maybe the sense we think of it today but as someone who practices and understands the law and particularly the Jewish law. But anyways, he's trying to figure out what it means for salvation. Um, And and also, this is not so much an idea of what kind of gets me into heaven, but how am I living in right relationship with God? And Jesus' answer, of course, is, well, what's the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God, love others. And I think it's interesting, like, if the lawyer had just stopped there, um, he would have been okay. But he couldn't because he needed to know exactly who he had to love. Um, And and a lot of people interpret this to think that then he had to figure out then who he didn't have to love, right? How can I be in right relationship with God and yet still kind of have my own way? And it's interesting Then Jesus' answer is then uh, you can't. Um, If you love God wholeheartedly, you'll love as God loves.
1: Yeah, and as we come to this text and we spend some time thinking about this, one of the things which really I find intriguing about this whole topic is back to when Anthony was introducing this. He talks about is it identity or character that matters? You see, the lawyer he's trying to justify himself but also a lot of times people think of a neighbor in terms of an identity you know it's someone who lives adjacent to your house or something like that but what jesus tells the man is it's the behavior that is carried out that matters the levite just could have just could have as easily been a neighbor by just behaving right and so could anyone else he's not a neighbor because he's a samaritan He's not not a neighbor because he's the priest going along to carry around his priestly functions. People always want to look at this and be like, well, this is why the priest couldn't stop, and this is why the Samaritan could. None of it matters. What does matter is the behavior that the people carry out. If you're someone who actually loves and cares about other people, you're showing him mercy. Again, to literally quote Jesus, he says, the one who showed him mercy, that is the one who is a neighbor. It is the behavior that matters. And looking at this as a whole, and Anthony wanted us to apply this to the modern world, One of the things that I've talked about before on the podcast is I really think in our modern world, people have forgot how to value one another. As we have moved away from the ethics of Christianity, we no longer look at the world, and this is we as in the culture. The culture as a whole doesn't look at the world and say, people are created in the image of God. They have that spark of the divine in there. Yes, sin is in the equation, but because you are created in God's image, you are valuable. Life itself is sacred because it is derived from that which is sacred. And we look at this and we see this man himself, he's trying to rebrand, he's trying to define things into his favor. He's trying to say, well, I don't have to love these people because they're not the definition of neighbor, or I don't have to do this action because I only have to do it to certain people. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 it actually is about your actions, how you work. It's not just because one is or is not a Samaritan that matters or one is or is not a Levite. What does matter is your behavior. Back to what I was saying about how we value people, as we have moved away from seeing that people are created in the image of God, people now say, well, your, your demographic status is what gives you identity or what gives you value. Your wealth, how much power you have, how much authority you have, these are the things which give you value. No, all of it's wrong. You're created in the image of God and that is where value comes from because life is sacred. But after we say life is sacred, we must point out that character does matter. We should be moving into Christ-likeness because, again, we should be looking towards that which is truly sacred and truly divine. I don't know if Amanda looking. has anything she wants to add to that before we go on.
0: No, I think...
2: Looking at verse 27 and 30 through 37, as the teacher justifies himself, he starts by addressing who should be the object of love. Who is his neighbor? Jesus does describe a neighbor, but does he answer the lawyer in the same terms the question was asked in? Amanda. Amanda.
0: I think yes and no, because I think Jesus definitely answers the question. But I think Jesus does what Jesus always does when asked a question. He expands upon it. And this is really like, I mean, we see this throughout Jesus's ministry. Um, When he goes, you know, to the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with blessed are. um, When he goes, you have heard it said, but I tell you. At no point does Jesus come in saying, I've come to completely give you a new, a completely new covenant. But says that old covenant I've now made new in my person. And so we see this expansion happening again when Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. Um, And again, the the lawyer is focusing on something so specific that at times maybe it does need to be addressed. But Jesus says, let's look at it from a broader uh, viewpoint. And as we see, that a lot of times I think Pastor Dylan was talking about this and kind of hinting at it. We want to take the story and we're like, let's point our fingers at who's the Samaritan, who's the Jew, who's the man that's beaten up, and let's all identify all these different people groups. And I think there's some serious conversation to be had about us seriously evaluating um, who we are and our place in the world and how other people fit in the world. But that's not the point of the parable. That's kind of way downstream of it. The the starting point is what are we called to do as people of God? Well, that is to love. And really, even that the answer to love has become so mingled and watered down with all these different philosophies and viewpoints that I think Jesus would have to maybe retell the story again to us today um, if, if he was to encounter a 21st century lawyer. But again, Jesus is like, no, 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 you want to focus on this down here and that's may be important, but let's, if you have the foundation right, then everything else is going to be built up strong. But the foundation is that love is an action and that we are called to do something more than the rest of the world. When the world says, don't take care of him because he's ABC or XYZ, Jesus says, no, you do it because that, and I think it's an outflow of the first commandment. If you love your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and soul, everything that makes you you, then you're not gonna try to justify yourself by deciding really who or what you have to actually do or love. Yeah. You're gonna just do it because you have been so transformed by the character of God. And, and so I think that's what, so Jesus does answer kind of, but he expands those parameters in such a beautiful way that calls the lawyer and really the whole audience, and even us as modern audience, to, to come into a bigger kingdom then even the most well-meaning person may have tried to define that, that story.
1: I think Amanda's right on a lot of levels. And I know for time purposes, I'm not going to break down everything. <laughs> that There's so many things I want to add to that, but she's right. You've got to start at the right foundation. Does Jesus answer his question? Yes and no is correct. He does answer the question, but he doesn't do it on the terms that the man wants to. Because the man is trying to justify himself, and Jesus realizes this isn't what needs to happen. This is a good question to ask because there's good framework here for me to actually point people in a great direction. And again, the man is looking for nouns. Who is a neighbor in terms of noun? This people group, that people group. Look, people in 2018, 2019, this is 2019 now. <laughs> um, people love to play identity politics. Identity politics is not new. It crops up time and time again, and it's almost always destructive. People always say, well, I'm going to play it different this time, which is an arrogant thing that people think that they can play that. Um <laughs> That, that's a dangerous game to play. And that's why you've got to have the right foundations. The right foundation is that the answer is not in terms of nouns and identities. The answer is terms of love, which is a, a verb. <laughs> it's, it's in verbs. It's in actions. It's in a different area than what the man is looking for. He is looking for something which is going to justify himself. Jesus says no. All right, Anthony, well, I'll let you go on to the last yep. claim that you have there.
2: Well, this uh, honestly, you guys are already totally uh, fulfilled this last question. But both of you each, but um, I will go ahead and ask anyways, and we can make our answers quick. And so it's a simple concept. But did Jesus say that the lawyer should become a good Samaritan? And if not, what is it that Jesus does tell the lawyer?
0: Well, and I think this is a really interesting question. Um, and maybe we've kind of answered in our in our answers before. But to kind of give it a clear, because in Christianity we we have this weird idealization uh, sometimes of the Good Samaritan and also of saints of the past, and I know we're about to talk about saints later, and so I'm not at all uh, downing saints or the Good Samaritan but we have to see them for, for who they are. Um, they are people to give us an example, but we do not find our salvation in examples of faithfulness. Uh, ultimately, we find our salvation in the faithfulness of God. And so Jesus is inviting the lawyer not to be the good Samaritan, but to be a good Samaritan in the sense of loving everyone and showing compassion. Um, so, yeah, again, I, I think sometimes we do try to narrow the story down a little too much. Um, and, and Jesus, again, which is just... Kind of ironic because Jesus is trying to expand the story and we keep trying to narrow it down so we can justify ourselves. And and again, as always, God is saying, nope, just a little bit bigger.
1: And I just want to reiterate. I know preachers like to say things that other (laughs) preachers say. Amanda said it's a great thing. Salvation does not come from examples of the faith. Just let that one hang there for a second. Anyways, um, some of my own thoughts to add to there. No, he doesn't tell the man to become a Samaritan. He tells him to show mercy and, again, he doesn't care so much about the identity of the person so long as their identity is found in God. We'll leave that there. All right, and send us your thoughts, questions, comments on all of this. And I just want to throw out Anthony kind of wrote this segment. So big props to Anthony. Anthony's developing a lot over here. He did a really good job with that. So. If you like Anthony's writing and whatnot, please send us your, your thoughts, questions, and comments. And pitchforks. But I'll take the pitchforks. <laughs> we'll accept all of them. We accept every, every, um, <laughs> everything. Um, that being said, we'll go to a break. And we'll be back to talk about some pretty intense saints. I think we're coming back together we're going to play hot not or sanctified and how this works if we say something is hot We're saying it's positive theological inspiration if we say not we mean we don't particularly like it And if we say sanctified that means only God's judgment can decide whether it's positive or not We're going to do this with a few saints from history who have really fascinating stories They've done some really I'm not going to say outrageous, but they've done some pretty intense and brutal things. These are not the sort of people you would see depicted in artwork where they're they're sitting around in sort of a dark room with their hands up in the air. Sort of. Unfortunately, in the Protestant world, we don't have a very good imagination when it comes to Christian art. We always look at people like with their hands holding a Bible or something. (laughs) Whereas you get to some of the saints of old, and you see them out riding through. Battlefields. They they have their their symbolism of the faith on them, and but they might be someone covered in arrows. You never know. Anthony's prepared a list of us of a few interesting saints, and we're gonna play this. You can only say sanctified once though, and those of you who are watching, you can send us your thoughts as well. So let's get into these saints. I think honestly, um, most of them we're gonna find to be inspirational,
2: or all of them rather. But uh, to go in and get started, we'll start with Saint Moses the Black of the fourth century. A.D. St. Moses lived in Egypt and was a slave of Ethiopian descent until he committed murder as a young man. He was then banished and lived with a band of robbers. Eventually, he ruthlessly fought his way to be their leader. Once the authorities were after him, and Moses sought refuge with the monks of the desert, where he was touched by the grace of God and repented. It was after much begging and constant obedience that he was finally accepted as one of the brothers. Years later, four robbers attacked the monastery. St. Moses beat them senseless, but stopped short of killing them and brought them before the elder monks. The elders spared their lives. These robbers then also repented as Moses did and became monks themselves. In his life, Moses the Black was made a deacon, which he felt quite unworthy for. Later, he would be tested for the priesthood. The bishop over him tested St. Moses by reviling him as an unworthy Ethiopian before the altar. Moses accepted this abuse with the utmost humility, and after, the bishop revealed his intentions and ordained him as a priest, and in time, Moses the Black would have over 75 disciples. At the age of 75, Moses had become aware of a a brigand attack that was to take place on his monastery. He blessed the other monks to leave. They begged him to escape with them, and it is said he responded, For many years now I have awaited the time when the words of my master, the Lord Jesus Christ, should be fulfilled. All who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Seven other monks stayed with Moses, and they fought the brigands, so that the others might escape until their deaths.
1: All right, he kind of reinterpreted that, live by the sword, die yes. by the sword. He kind of was willing to die by the sword. He said, no, I'm going to protect some other people. Before we decide whether this is hot or not, Amanda, I think if we were going to do saints as superheroes, he's kind of a Batman-like character because, yes. you see, he's like, he'll beat people almost to death. But I draw the line at just going <laughs> out right murder. and killing him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he kind of has that he's transformation. mostly dead. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which is partially alive.
1: Partially alive. Um, not the Michael Keaton Batman, this, for sure. <laughs> Anyways, um, Amanda, what do you think about this? Hot, not, or sanctified?
0: I don't know what to really, like, I've thought about it, and and like Anthony said, kind of, they're saints, so the initial reaction is just to kind of do a blanket hot on all of them. But I think there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in his story. Um, Personally, for me, when he talks about trying to figure out his priesthoodness, um, Thursday, in a week, I I go before our churches, our denominations uh, district board and, and Explain why I think I should be ordained as as an elder in the Church of Nazarene. So there's a part of me that's like, like this should not be a story we should all like take an example from because the elder like just badgers him and expects him to take it. And I'm not the kind of person that if if I'm going to be badgered by a credentials board, I, I hope maybe I can be as compassionate as maybe I need maybe what I'm saying in all this babbling is that Moses needs to be my patron saint for the next week <laughs> uh, and I can take some inspiration well, from him he um, does eventually
1: lead to 75 disciples
0: Yes, so is, things
1: do turn out for him really well
0: this is true but and because he was gracious in front of his credential board so maybe that's the example I should take from that um, but yes then he interprets that passage very differently than I think a lot of people even especially modern hearers would interpret that passage so there's a lot going on in the story that, that I think very challenging if we actually look at it. it it's not a simple story of how to be a good person it really is to look at the world in which we live and, and trying to be the best person that we can be by god's grace um so i'm tempted to call it sanctified just simply because it's it's just it's so compelling but also so difficult and i think it, it's it's encountering some very difficult things but i don't want to use sanctified on my first one um so again with more babbling i think i'll go with
1: hot I'll say hot. Amanda said a great deal on that, so... I'll, I'll be the continue. Anthony, who do we got next? We have St.
2: Anthony of Egypt of the 3rd and 4th century A.D.
1: Who doesn't look anything like Anthony of Jolton?
2: <laughs> he does not look anything like Anthony of Jolton. although I wish we had the picture of Anthony of Jolten dressed as Anthony of Egypt, because that would be so oh, hilarious. My look, he but gave he away his it. bluff. <laughs> we could have had a little... Slipped one in there on people. <laughs> so... St. Anthony of Egypt, a 20-year-old who was very wealthy from his inheritance, but gave all he had to the poor after hearing from the gospel, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor. Anthony then spent his life learning about the monastic life and living in solitude. In his mid-50s, St. Anthony opened a monastery of scattered cave cells for those who begged to be led in the monastic life. At 60, Anthony evangelized during a period of renewed Roman persecution and supported the believers, though he preferred isolation himself. In his late 80s, he had heard that the Arian heretics were spreading lies of, of his support for them and considered the only solution to go to Alexandria himself and confront the heretics, where he renounced their heresy and surely helped overcome it for the sake of many of the faithful. St. Anthony lived to be about 105, but over the course of his life, truly dedicated himself to God. He is said to have battled demons in the desert on numerous and perhaps perpetually recurring occasions, who came in all sorts of tempting forms. One witness attests to have seen an unrecognizable monk come and offer St. Anthony water during one of his fast. But But Anthony saw that the unknown monk was a demon. And the rejection and rebuke St. Anthony gave to the demon resulted in a great physical struggle that had left Anthony scarred, but the demon defeated.
1: You know, I'm thinking we actually need comic books of these. Somebody's probably made comic books of these um, saints. They would be awesome. All the ones that we're looking at today are going to be pretty awesome yes. in comic book form. Um, yes. I'm going to go ahead and say hot to this one. St. Anthony's pretty interesting. Um, one of the details Anthony of Jolton didn't add in there is he wanted to die a martyr. But um, he didn't. He actually lived to be 105. It's kind of interesting. Those n- never ask God for, for certain things. One should leave the revelation up to God. Um, when I have found personal experience. There are things I said, I'd like, and I'm like, i never going to be somebody who speaks regularly from behind a pulpit. And I was like a, a, a preaching at a, a church in my early 20s. Like everything that you say, tell God you won't do or you're like, God, you're going to do this for me. It always goes in a different direction. Um, Anthony thought he would die for the faith um, as a martyr. He ends up living 105 years.
0: I love this story because, like, as an introvert, this is this is quite interesting. Like, Anthony's like, I, I want to be left alone, but I'll, I'll come out to protect the persecuted. And he's like, No, I'm going to go back to being alone. And he's like, I'm going to come out to tell that that heretic what's what. And So he just lives this very interesting life. So even though he does not die a martyr, um, he, he he lives a life of legend, um, which is actually quite remarkable. As we were talking about, I was um, trying to figure out our name for the episode. I think the last word in our our title is martyrs. And then I was like, "Well," and someone mentioned, well, no, not all of them died. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because it it almost seems impossible to be a saint without being martyred. Like it just seems they go hand in hand. Um, But here we have this fantastic example of someone who lived um, into his uh, ripe old age and yet still through all that remained faithful to God. So, of course, uh, hot.
1: And again, for someone who's an introvert, Like, look at the things he has to do. Like, this is like an introvert's nightmare. For some, the poor man just wanted to be left alone in the middle of nowhere. And he has to go into, like, big councils, and he's got to fight demons, and people always, the poor man just can't have any peace.
0: He's like an older version of Batman. He would be, yeah, Yeah. if he used to be the comic book equivalent.
1: Yeah. Our
2: next saint is St. Joan of Arc of the 15th century. Joan of Arc was born of a peasant couple southeast of Paris. Paris. Joan was 12 years old when she first saw visions of Michael the Archangel, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and St. Margaret of Antioch. Joan of Arc is most famous for her exploits in the Hundred Years War. After many tests and direct interactions with King Charles VII, she was finally allowed to fight. The king offered her a sword but she requested she yield an ancient sword that was revealed to her. It was exactly where she said it would be, buried behind behind the altar in the chapel of St. Catherine de Faubois. St. Joan of Arc fought gallantly in many battles, has had arrows through the chest, thigh, and even once in the neck. It is said that she was once hit in the helmet with a cannonball while climbing a ladder, shook it off, and stormed ahead. It has also been said that Joan of Arc actually did did not wear men's clothing, besides perhaps armor, and fought while wearing a dress. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake at nineteen in 1431 as a heretic. A second church trial twenty five later twenty five years later nullified the first, and in 1920 Joan of Arc was canonized
1: by Pope by Pope Benedict the Fifteenth. Pretty hot. I'm going to say this. This is, this is the thing. We, we don't have an imagination in the Protestant world. Like, we should. Like, again, when you, again, go to just about any church. You look at art, even on our own district and even things that I put together. Personally, you go and you look at some of the stuff that we do in the Protestant world, and you'll see people put together stuff, and they'll, they'll have, again, they'll show, what does the church look like? And they'll show, like, people sitting in pews holding their hands in the air. Maybe they're standing in a room. Um, some sort of people kind of being passive in, in worship. But when you look at some of the stuff here, I mean, you've got Joan of Arc with, like, this sacred sword, like, being revealed to her from St. Catherine, and it's in St. Catherine's chapel there. She goes out, and she gets that, and she's in battle, you know, shaking off canyon shots to the <laughs> head. Like, this is some intense stuff here. I mean, like, why, why, when we send people to university, we need to make them, like, watch stuff like this, just read the life of the saints, and go out and be inspired to live like at least one of them. Pretty cool. I yeah. like it,
0: uh, and I, I do too. And I think definitely, and I think an interesting aspect um, of this story is that she is burnt at the stake um, by the Catholic Church, but though kind of not really because it is during the Hundred Years' War, so she's really killed by the English Church, um, and then that's why later uh, the, the church, kind of Catholic Church everywhere, says no, the English Church messed up. Um, but and then later she is canonized as a saint, and I think it's important that we are called to be faithful, even if sometimes in the midst of um, organizations or structures that, that should be on our side. So there, there's some, some great lessons to be learned from her. And, yes, obviously, uh, if you can take a cannonball to the head and, and shake it off, you, you should definitely be someone to um, I emulate.
1: a, a <laughs> meme coming to Instagram <laughs> yeah. when you take a cannonball to the head and still live to fight on. Yeah. All right, who do we got next, Anthony?
2: Our next saint is out of Quiteria of the 5th century A.D., Sanquiteria's life begins with the amazing circumstances of her birth. She was the first daughter to emerge from the womb of her mother, who gave birth to eight other daughters in her first pregnancy, which means they were non uplit daughters. That's the nine version of twins. The mother was the wife of a pagan and elite Roman governor who looked contemptuously upon whom she bore. Comparing the nine baby girls to a litter, she concluded others would compare her to a base animal or lowly peasant. Too proud for such a comparison, she ordered that the maid take all the babies and drown them. This bizarre birth was to be kept secret from her husband. The maid, however, looked favorably upon the girls and resolved to raise them with the help of the neighboring peasant women. All nine girls were kept together or in close community, well aware they were sisters, and were raised in the faith. When they matured, the sisters had apparently refused to honor a Roman god as Christians and were hauled before the governor, their father, who immediately recognized them through familial likeness. Having discovered what his wife had done, the father resolved to take the daughters into his home and marry them to well-bred Roman military men. However, the daughters refused to consent to marriages to pagan worshipers. With that, the father had them imprisoned and locked in a tower. However, the resourceful sisters managed to escape, and in doing so, liberated the prison. They themselves, alongside the other escapees, fled to the mountains. The newly found gang waged a guerrilla war against the Roman Empire. In the end, the campaign was unsuccessful. St. was captured and beheaded, a virgin and a martyr. This is an
1: awesome story. Um... And I don't know who this maid was and the people that helped raise these nine girls. They raised them right because they had a pretty rock-solid faith. (laughs) And they resisted a lot of pretty—I mean, it's kind of like a fairy tale gone wrong. They had everything offered to them, but they chose to live for the faith rather than to give in to the pagan temptations. And it's not just any pagan temptation. It's pagan temptation to go back and be with your own family. Um, It's just really interesting dynamics there. I'm not I'm saying hot to this.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's like, I mean, to think in that society to be offered to be, you know, moved from being a maid, the daughters are, are really um, kind of these children without parents who are raised by a maid. And then saying now you can claim the governor as your father and then be married to, to men in power. Really, it's this promise for security, um, for long life. Um, for comfort and, and they're like nah we good we're gonna live in the woods and, and fight the Roman Empire like <laughs> that's that like you said so I mean it's just it's fantastic how what they gave up um and then also again we have this interesting story of people of the faith fighting um and, and I, I can't articulate exactly how I feel about that, either yay or nay, but it's part of our history. and um, But I do think this this faithfulness of these nine sisters is definitely a hot inspiration. I
1: will say this. These people, they're not initiating violence. No. They're people who are trying to, to respond to it in the best way they can in a really, really brutal and savage world. And I am so impressed by the fact that, again, I hate to go back to this point, but they had such temptation. I mean, their lives going from being these childless kind of kids, which, I, I mean, not childless, parentless kids, um, going to have the governor be your father. I mean, everything. It's like the fairy tale, you know, happily level after if you'll just do this, but they're like, no, nope, we're not going to get into the paganism. No happily level after for us because we have our eyes set on something beyond this world. So that that's really cool.
2: I will say, forgive me for not uh, saying this, uh, more forwardly, I guess, but all the saints today are gonna have some sort of very uh, harsh treatment or very very terrible violent situations t- that they had to face. So that's sort of a theme. I think, I think for you can kind of oblate on that one. <laughs> I know, yeah, terrible. Well, who's the last one we have? The last one we have is Saint Sebastian of the third century A.D. Son of a wealthy Roman family, educated in Milan, officer of the Imperial Roman Army, and captain of the guard, St. Sebastian was a favorite personal guard of the Roman Emperor Diocletian. During Diocletian's persecution of the Christians, Sebastian visited the Christians in prison, bringing supplies and comfort. St. Sebastian is reported to have healed the wife of a Christian soldier by making the sign of a cross over her. He converted soldiers and a governor to Christianity. Saint Sebastian was something of an independent clandestine agent for the agent for the kingdom of God. Charged as a Christian, Sebastian was tied to a tree and used as target practice for training archers and left for dead. He survived and with the help of Saint Irene recovered and returned to preach to Diocletian. The emperor had him beaten to death.
1: Yeah, St. Sebastian's pretty awesome. He, he actually has to spend several years recovering from that time he was executed. Again, he was ordered, executed once. They thought they killed him. They turned out that they didn't. It turns out it's pretty hard to kill Sebastian, evidently, though they did successfully execute him the second time around. It's one of the Praetorian Guard, The just a really, really cool guy. Again, You're not going to see any pictures of Sebastian sitting around sort of passively with his little hands having a good time. No, Sebastian's out there, got arrows piercing all over his body. And he's a really effective minister, too. One of the things that wasn't mentioned in Anthony's recap, which is a great recap, is when Christians would be executed, Sebastian would a lot of times go to the families of the one who was martyred because a lot of times they weren't Christians, and he would get with them and be like, look, you can have eternal life if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he would work with them. And tell them, look, your loved one died, but you can be with them again, should you accept Jesus. And he he works with people and brings them together because he wants, even though families can't be helped so much in this life after such a tragedy, he knows that God can still help them beyond the parameters of this life. And Sebastian, I I just feel like his ministry, he really had a good, he wasn't in it for himself, for sure. I say hot.
0: (laughs) And, and like so many in the story, like Anthony was saying, we, we kind of have all these these saints who have encountered such um, troublesome uh, situations. Uh, again, like all of them, they face these great temptations where it could be very easy for them to say, no, I'm good. I mean, he was a Roman guard, one of the favorites of, of Diocletian, so it had been very easy for him to just forget his faith, keep on going, and he could have lived a very comfortable and, and probably prosperous life. And then again, he had kind of a second temptation after he survived the first attempt on his life. He could have just kind of went into hiding and, and again been like, okay, I'll stay a Christian, but I, I'm going to stay away from the danger. And instead he encounters Diocletian and, and like confronts him. And I don't mean like encounters him like, oh, hey, you know, saw him across the way accidentally. Like he seeks Diocletian out and, and confronts him face to face with the faith. And so... Um, yeah, this and this whole, I think all these stories are basically of people who, who had the chance to turn away, uh, had the opportunity to just kind of give up, um, and maybe have been okay people, or even maybe good people. Instead, we see that they are truly righteous because they're willing to remain faithful to a God who is faithful to them. So, of course, hot. Yeah. I think it was a pretty hot list. <laughs> I liked it. Very good, Anthony. Yeah, and Anthony compiled many of the lists we do. He just finds and then reads. But this one he actually compiled and wrote. So this has been a very excellent Hot Nodder Sanctified.
1: It has been. A very hot list. With that, we thank you for joining us today. Again, send us your thoughts, questions, or comments. You can find me on Twitter at J. Proctor. Check out our Instagram page. And also we're on Tumblr, tumblr.com slash kingdomofthelogos. We're trying to have more prominent content out there to give you some inspirational things throughout the week that aren't just shallow inspiration, but really get your mind thinking. Be people of critical thinking in the adventure of life. And again, the adventure that is the holiness walk. And again, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, hit subscribe, like our stuff, follow. Please, it helps us out so much. You can download a free podcast on CastBox, SoundCloud, iTunes, and other places as well. And with that, God love you. Have a blessed day.